This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp and Dayani Yoakum, personal finance experts here at The Motley Fool. High five. Yeah. That was lame. So yet again, making for good radio. It's high fives <laughs> all around. This is good. We are pros. And we are really excited to have David Gardner back for round two of Robert and Diana's interview. Today, he's going to talk more about his rule-breaking strategies for finding market-beating stocks. And he's also going to talk about a few companies he likes right now and what he sees as the biggest trends to invest in. Yeah? Yeah. Did that yeah. cover it? Oh, yeah. I wasn't there, so I'm kind of bummed. I missed you. We talked about you at length. You'll hear. I bet you said only the <laughs> nicest things. Uh, we're also going to talk about what you need to consider for your mid-year financial review. So exciting. I nearly <laughs> fell asleep trying to even get that <laughs> sentence out. But whatever. Eat your broccoli. <laughs> All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Fool Answers. The fun article we stumbled upon this week came courtesy of Robert Brokamp, who is apparently still weeding through his April emails in his inbox, but whatever. Who is this Dalbar? Which honestly sounds like someone's stupid cousin's name. <laughs> Cousin Dalbar's coming to town. Cousin Dalbar wrecked his car. Again. Cousin Dalbar drives a truck. He does El not Camino. drive a car. In El Camino. So who is this Dalbar? And why do they speak so poorly of mutual fund investors? Well, essentially, Dalbar is a research group, and what they have been looking at for more than 20 years now are comparing the returns of the stock market versus the returns that investors in mutual funds get. And you might think they're close, but they're actually not very close at all. It turns out that, for example, according to the recent version that came out in April or so. <laughs> yeah, the title like of that. the article you send around is Dalbar, Why Investors Suck and Tips for Advisors. Right, which is, by the way, I mean, that's written, it's not written by Dalbar, it's written by a guy who's looking at the results. But he presents the information partially because you got to pay like 100 bucks just to read the Dalbar report. But, so you get it for free here, people. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, for example, in 2014, uh, we'll just choose a long-term number. The 20-year annualized return on the S&P 500 was 9.85%. So close to that number you may have heard, over the long term, the stock market returns 10% a year. But the average equity mutual fund investor only got 5.19%. So just about half of the stock market by investing in mutual funds. Now, let me ask this clarifying question. When you're talking about here, the average equity fund mutual investor. Are you talking about the returns of the mutual fund? No, the actual investor. So they're looking, if I, as an individual, had invested right. in a mutual fund, here are the returns I got right. based on my timing. Exactly. Anything that I did. And that is the key. Over this period of time. Because they would have better returns if they bought the fund and just held on to it and but, died. And died. But people <laughs> don't. They're buying and selling, often at the wrong times. So, classic, of course, is when the market's going up, as it did in the mid-2000s up until 2007. People are feeling very happy. They keep putting money in. Then the market starts going down. And, and at one point, some, somewhere in the beginning of 2009, we had seen a decline that was the worst since the Great Depression. At that point, everyone's selling. Yeah. Right. And also, people tend to invest in mutual funds looking at their previous returns. Right, just like the previous 
one-year return. One and year I did return. that. The yeah. very first mutual fund I bought way back when I was, I was 24, I picked the fund that had the best return. Hot dog. Who wouldn't invest yeah. in that one? It's obvious. It's had right. the best returns. Right, exactly. Uh, finally, I will add one thing about the Dalbar study. So it's been around for a while, but it does get regularly criticized in terms of whether their calculations are accurate and whether they're drawing the wrong conclusion. So um, I think that's worth looking into. But we know from many other studies that people make poor timing decisions, as do financial advisors. So other studies have confirmed that financial advisors aren't immune to these psychological problems as well. Many psychological problems. <laughs> <laughs> he speaks with authority on that particular Right, exactly. Though. So, even if the Dalbar is a little flawed, the truth is we know these things happen, and hopefully you can do what you can to not fall prey to those same issues. Yeah. Okay. We as human beings are more flawed than the Dalbar right. study and end up doing things that are bad for our financial health. The takeaway is decide on an asset allocation that's right for you, a right mix of cash, stocks, bonds, U.S. stocks, international stocks, and then stick with it. Rebalance maybe once every few years, but you don't rebalance because this asset went down. If, let's say you were investing in U.S. stocks, and they went down significantly like they did through a good part of the beginning of the 2000s. You're like, oh no, the U.S. is going to pot. I'm going to start investing internationally because international stocks are doing well. Guess what's happened over the last several, several years? The other way, it's turned around. U.S. stocks have been doing very well. International stocks, not as well. So what are people doing now? They're selling international going into the U.S. I call it the, the hokey pokey, where at one point something's right. in, Something's out. Just stick with having a little bit of everything and rebalance regularly. And shake it all about. And shake it all about. All right, he's back for more. If you love David Gardner like we do, and I'm not just saying that because he's kind of like a boss here and a co-founder of the company that I work at, but we truly love him, and he is an amazing investor. And he is back for part two of Robert and Diana's. Epic? Is it too much to call it epic? No, it's pretty epic. Epic interview yeah. with David Gardner, co-founder of The Motley Fool. It might it, be award-winning. Award- <laughs> it could be. Life-changing, money-making. Making. Yep. Yes. yep, all of these things. That's fine. Life-changing, award-winning, whatever. Here it is. Hair-growing. Robert and Dehana's <laughs> interview with David Gardner, co-founder of The Motley Fool, part two. Hello, fools. Once again, we are fortunate to have David Gardner, Motley Fool co-founder, here at Motley Fool Answers. Hello, David. Hi, Robert. I'm really excited. Thanks, Diana, for having me on. I'm really excited that we're doing this as a video. That way, people can see that I didn't even change my shirt. The same <laughs> course same of the last me. week or so. I only own one dress. <laughs> Look at you both. Look <laughs> at Once us. again, I'm not wearing pants. So. <laughs> um, this time, we're going to talk a little bit about your investing philosophy. First of all, when people talk traditionally about investing, they often talk in terms of value growth, large cap, small cap. But that's not something really you focus on. I, I don't like the traditional labels because it tends to lock people into thinking that I don't even think is that productive. So I guess as trying to bring some right brain to things from time to time, I like to reframe things. So I, I don't like the whole value growth, are you a value investor, are you a growth investor thing. Um, I prefer to think of myself as awesome investor, an investor looking for excellence. <laughs> you know, let's yeah, let's go with awesome. We're all awesome investors. Um, so, so many of the traditional distinctions that people make, I, I it's just my nature to immediately question that and see if there's something better. And I don't always find something better, but I think we can do better than value and growth. I would say value is often people who are looking for things at a discount. So I might say, and often they're looking at beaten down things. And, and growth is often people who are going to pay up for um, perceived excellence. 
Um, those aren't better phrases to replace those, but I just I don't even I try not to use those phrases when I'm introduced as a growth stock picker or something like that. Even though the host is you know well-meaning, and I don't say anything if I'm on CNBC or something like that, um, I I quietly die just a little <laughs> bit inside because I don't I, I'm not a growth investor. I mean we we all should be growth investors if if we're looking for things over the long term. We want things to be growing. Uh, so yes, I don't look for temporary mispricings in the market. Um, I'm looking to be a part owner of great businesses over time. And that you have done over your 20 plus years of investing. Occasionally, about about half the time we find great companies, and about half the time we don't. And we're very comfortable with failing, yeah. which is a really important part of being, I think, a good investor. Oh, we're going to get into that All a little right. later. Let's we're going to talk about <laughs> your losers. Go. But using so, let's take your style or your your service is called Rule Breakers. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you're looking for rule breaking companies. So, based on the criteria you use, kind of walk us through a couple companies that you like right now and tell sure. us why they are rule breakers. Sure. Well, there are there are six traits, and I'm not going to speak to each of them, but I will really quickly bullet them just so we have them in our minds. So, top dog and first mover in an important emerging industry. That's number one. That's the longest phrase I'm going to use, but that's kind of important. Top dog and first mover in an important emerging industry. Um, number two, we look for sustainable advantage. Number three, we're looking for companies that have good management and smart backing. Number four, excellent past price appreciation. That means the stock has already done well, which is very counterintuitive for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Number five, great brands. And number six, I specifically like to find companies that everyone thinks are overvalued. So, I look for um, the general press or the financial media, I love to see we're on the cover of Barron's and they are saying that it's Amazon.bomb, yeah. for example. So that that's a contrarily, that is a positive buy signal for me. So those are the six traits. I actually flip flopped number three and four for anybody who's doing the math at home. But I just wanted to quickly run over those so that people know where I'm coming from. And then you, you wanted a few examples? Oh, yeah. Great. So I'll give you three right off the top. And um, uh, let's, let's go with Tesla. Um, number two, Under Armour, and number three, Zillow. Um, all three of the, those companies conform to most of the traits that I just laid out for you. Uh, Tesla, obviously, as a company that basically is the electric car company that's even becoming not just a car company. It's still technically called Tesla Motors, but Tesla, with its battery gigafactory and with its home battery, is um, did you just make up the word gigafactory? No, that's <laughs> okay. that, that's a big deal actually. That's right. there, and just they're going to be building more that. than one of them. But you know, so Tesla, uh, good management, smart backing. I mean, they have a visionary founder. Um, you know, everyone thought it was overvalued. Who killed the electric car? This will never work, kind of a thing. Uh, Under Armour is a totally different company, but again, exhibits the same traits that I just talked about. And that's one of the fun things about our approach at Rule Breakers, that we're not just talking about tech or not tech or Mm -hmm. value or growth or all those labels. We're just looking at the guts of something and saying, uh, we see pattern recognition from an electric car company right through to, in this case, an apparel manufacturer. Uh, and Sweaty under things. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and you know, two things that we can find between the electric car company and the sweaty under things company is that they they both are have great brands. Mm-hmm. Both of them are really well known and really positive brands. Lots of association. The other thing is that they're both the leaders in their industry. Under Armour competing with Nike is smaller than Nike, but I believe that Under Armour has um, has a visionary founder in Kevin Plank. And uh, and just the youth, the youth market. So I think it's set up better than Nike is going for it anyway. And then I mentioned Zillow. Zillow has been a, a strong stock pick for us at Motley Fool Rule Breakers. The last 
half year or so, it's gotten cut in half, which is unusual for our companies, for me to like something after it's down. I tend to like things that go up, and because they tend to go up more, and I just like them even more. And the things that drop for me, I tend to start discounting and not caring as much about, and just thinking I was wrong, which I'm wrong a lot. Anyway, so Zillow is also a leader. It is a top dog and first mover. If you try to think about checking online real estate and seeing the value of houses or what's listed for sale, and you use the internet, I don't really think there is a Pepsi if they're the Coke. I can't. I can't. Yeah. In fact, Trulia was was a competitor to mm-hmm. Zillow, and Zillow bought Trulia. So those are all companies that I think of as rule breakers. Right. To a certain degree, you're looking for companies that, um, to a certain degree, may even change the way we live in the future. So, as you look down five, ten years, do you have a sense of which companies or which technologies will be looking back and saying, "Wow, that's really had a, a big impact." On our lives. Well, I mean, I think that the very most profound and obvious one today is blank. What do you think I'm going to say? Um, Tesla, Zillow, or Under Armour? Yeah, or <laughs> robot legs. Right. Here was giga, the blank. Giga, I like robot legs. Giga sweaty things. <laughs> okay, yeah, good, yeah. good. And and those those might happen. And they, but but what I was going to my my blank, and I wasn't really trying to quiz you, but I know you keep quizzing me, so I'm allowed to ask something back. Biotechnology. I think the biotechnology is is the most profound technology right now looking forward over the next 10 to 15 years. I think over the last 20 years it's been the internet and I think that the internet remains an unbelievably important and vital and creative and productive media medium. Uh, but if you really think about cancer being cured, which is starting to happen in little ways every day right now and you look at the amount of um, personnel and resources and money and dedication to that and you see the human benefit and how compelling that is, uh, whether it's cures for cancer or just any one of a number of other diseases. I mean, uh, hepatitis C was recently cured by Gilead Sciences, and that's um, now a company that's worth almost $200 billion. Um, So, we're starting not just to find things that are palliative or will help you, we're actually starting to flat out cure things. And that is very profound and important. So, the blank was Biotechnology. I was I was going to say something because in your Rule Breakers podcast you talked about solving cancer, so I had it in mind at least. And you know I I won't be solving cancer, and I I don't claim to have deep knowledge of each of my biotech companies, and we have a bunch of them in Rule Breakers. We have a good team that supports me, but I think a lot about that technology, and so I've kept picking within that sphere for several years now because I just think it's so profoundly important. Mm-hmm. And I, it has been a great place to be invested, even though they're very volatile. And some of these companies, obviously, as we know, flame out. So, you have to be ready for that if you're going to wade into the biotech waters. But I think it's kind of a mistake not to wade into the biotech waters, given the waters that I think we're going to be wading in as a society and a, and a, and a civilization over the next uh, couple decades. Speaking of flaming out and and uh-oh, <laughs> did I fail? Are you not going to invite me back for a third show? No, no. We'll see. We'll see how this yeah. goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jury's out. You just let me down gently. That's all I've ever asked each of my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> so now I want you to make us feel better about our own boneheaded investing moves, Rackspace, um, and <laughs> and talk about some of your losers uh-huh. and what what happened and how do you. How do you frame that? Sure. So Rackspace, um, you know, <laughs> I was I've just had, No, it's I, kind of fun because actually Rackspace has been, I guess, one of my best losers in the sense <laughs> that we picked the stock and one of our picks is up 92% and the other's up 278%. And so, I bought it the exact wrong time. Well, and you and, and I, I should, were talking earlier about GoPro, yeah. which I bought at the wrong time uh, on Rule Breakers. We recommended it at 80. You were saying, you know, it's up 48% for me. 
And I'm looking at looking at my scorecard, seeing that it's at 60 today, and we recommend a GoPro at 80. So I'm down 33 percent, Diana, and you're up 48 percent. So it's not a competition, David, but a lot let's of the just time say that if you ever need some advice, I'm, I'm around. <laughs> I am used to losing all the time, so I have no problem talking about my dogs. We um, just in the Rule Breaker service alone, and again, I poured half of my effort there and half in Motley Fool Stock Advisor over the last um, 10 plus years. But just in Rule Breakers, we've had over 30 stocks that have lost 50 percent or more of their value. Now, the good news is we've been picking two stocks every month. That's 24 a year for more than 10 years now. So, you know, out of those 30 plus or so, good news is there's a couple hundred that aren't down 50% or more in value. And even better news, our 35th best pick in Rule Breakers. I'm slightly making this up because it changes from one day to the next, but it's up about 157%. So, our 35th, Boom. Our 35th best is up 157 our 30 worst are all down somewhere between 50 and 90%. So, if you do the math with me, and you're willing to just be diversified and invest this way, you take those odds every day, every day of the week. And, and so, I'm at peace with picking more bad stocks than anybody ever at The Motley Fool. But I don't know, which ones do you, do you really want to talk about? I mean, I can talk about over 30 horrendous losers. Do you just want me to pick a recent pretty bad loser? Is that what you're listening for? Okay, good, what good. comes to mind when you think loser? Sure. So, in, in Rule Breakers, my most recent pick that's down 50% was picked in June of 2013. So the good news is, over the last couple of years, I have to look back to get to this 50%. So we haven't had any horrendous okay. blow ups, which sometimes happen, but it's, it's Chart Industries. Chart Industries, which is a company that basically is part of the natural gas revolution, natural gas getting cheaper and, and more of a good alternative to traditional um, oil and gas all the time. And Chart Industries is very talented at transporting. Natural gas. So we have a ton of natural gas, for example, in North America. So Chart Industries helps us export that to Europe by taking it across the ocean. And uh, this is a company that is down 64% since I picked it. It started up. It was a good stock that first several months, but um, natural gas has really sold off. The whole industry has over the last year. Or so oil and gas didn't have a good year in 2014. Uh, many of those companies are down. So that's just one example. Anyway, I may have gone too long on chart industries because I could talk about so many losers that I've had. But, <laughs> but again, I think the real key is uh, how we react to losers. And I know we're about to close. So I'll just say that I think for me, I don't obsess about my losers. I also don't try to learn too many lessons from my losers. A lot of people are all about learning lessons from their losers. I try to learn lessons from my winners because I think that's what's going to cause me to draw better conclusions about things. So, to a fault, perhaps, the positivity that runs through me, I tend to look at what's working and winning and stick with that and add to that. And I tend to, in an almost embarrassing and shameful way, slowly forget about the things that I've screwed up or have not done so well. And for whatever reason, that seems to work pretty well for the stock market. So. Um, but you can I have like me back. It. You can have me back another time. I know I'm not going to be on next time because my time's out this time. But but maybe later in the year we can actually go over just losers and the five things we should all be learning from our losers. But if there are five things to learn from our losers, that means there are ten things to learn from our winners. I like that Excellent. attitude. Yeah. Well, thank you, David. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Diana. It's been a pleasure. David Gardner's new podcast is called Rule Breaker Investing. Head over to iTunes and give it a listen because it's great. It's awesome. It is. Thank you, David, for joining us. And thank you for founding this fine company that puts food on my table. My paychecks, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. So, I would be remiss if I did not give you guys the disclaimer that you're all craving because we talked about a few stocks today. So, here it comes. Motley Fool analysts, such as David Gardner, may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy and sell stocks solely based on what you hear on this show. 
So who's looking to talk about something sexy and exciting? Not us. <laughs> it's your mid-year financial review. Da, 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 da. It's kind of, I think it's like required by law that people who write about finances have to talk about the mid-year review. <laughs> it's, just, it's the broccoli stuff. I mean, it's the stuff it everyone should know. And do. So we'll just yeah. do this very quickly, folks. Yeah. All right, yep. so load up your plate. Here we go. <laughs> Here you go. So, basically, so it's mid-year. What do I do? Well, you think about there are two things you're thinking about. You think about you want to prevent any surprises at the end of the year, and you want to prepare for anything that you know is coming up. So, one big thing is taxes. You've had a certain amount of money taken out of each of your paychecks. You've had six last, months of that. That's right. Seven. So, <laughs> a have you been had have you had the the right amount taken out? Um, it might be you just miscalculated it, or something has changed. You got married, you have another kid, you got a raise, you got to pay a cut. Something may have changed about your financial situation, so you would want to do that now rather than getting to the end of the year, beginning of next year, and finding out, holy cow, I owe a lot of money in taxes. Yeah, I should have raised my withholding. Or, right. Or lessened it. If you're if you if nothing's changed and you calculate it out and it looks like you're going to get a big return, you might as well start taking advantage of that extra money now right just your withholding which gets to another point and that is anticipating upcoming expenses the big one for people at the end of the year is holidays right and I don't know that I've, I've seen various studies but it's basically like a thousand dollars a person it's what most people end up spending when you calculate everything that goes into the holidays it's a lot of money especially if you have a big family so you start building up that amount now and one way might be that you're paying too much in taxes Change your withholding so you have that money waiting for you there. Yeah, or set up automatic withdrawals into right into a separate yeah. you know, the old the classic Christmas savings account. Yeah, uh, and then finally <laughs> Let's keep going. Yeah, <coughs> just keep plowing yeah. plowing on. Well, there's a lot of stuff you could you could do the whole shebang. You could do look at everything and just say I'm going to spend a day doing this. Look at my insurance. Is it the right stuff still? What's happened in the past half year? Right. Uh, Flexible spending. Yeah. You want to have that spent by the end of the year. So you've, you may have forgotten about some of those receipts. You want to get those now. If you have a company like The Motley Fool where you have to submit reimbursement expenses within 60 days, of doing that, I know, yeah, that's from, a good from, my, from going to the Morningstar conference in June, I have to do that now. Um, and then saving for retirement, the limit this year, for, you know, if you're 50 or, or if you're younger than 50, it's 5,500 IRAs, 18,000 for 401ks. Maybe something has happened that's allowed you to save a little bit more for retirement, and you can start doing that now. Just even up and up, upping the contribution by a couple hundred dollars, something like that. Yep. All right, so month. if our listeners do only one thing to become healthier. In, during their mid-year review financial extravaganza? I would say if you have had a big life change, yep, the marriage, a, death, kids. Change of jobs. Change of jobs. Yeah. Taxes. Taxes. Otherwise, it's try to save more for yeah. retirement. It's probably the way to do it. Especially yeah. if you're not saving enough to get the full match from your employer. Do what you can to get that at least. Yep. All right, there. There you go. That wasn't so bad. No, it was all right. Good advice. So say we. <laughs> so say the people Go giving up. the advice. That was, that was some good advice. Yeah. Right there. Of all the advice I heard from us today, that was among <laughs> the best. So that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank David Gardner again for joining us. You're fantastic. The show is amusingly edited by Rick Engdahl with theme music performed and composed by the talented Diana Yoakum. Our email is answers at fool.com. Go ahead, drop us a line. We love to get your mail. Yep. For Robert Brokamp and Diana Yoakum, I'm Allison Southwick. Pull on.